Good morning. Welcome to Stargard Harvest Church. We are glad that you're here this morning. And uh, let's see, we are in week number two of a five-part series. This week, we, uh, the series is called The Scarlet Thread. Now, we're talking about, as we always do, the Bible. The Bible made up of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over the course of thousands of years, but it has one integrated, cohesive, detailed message throughout the entire Bible. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way, and that's one of the beautiful things about this series is to help you see that. Now, we don't have time to go through all 66 books, but there are many examples in the Bible, many pictures that God uses in the Bible, and those things, they mean things. They're there for a reason, a very specific reason. Now, last week, we were in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis being the very first book in the Bible. And we took a look at the very first man that God created, and his name was Adam. And Adam, the whole life there of Adam in Genesis chapter 3 is pointing to something that was going to happen thousands of years later in the New Testament. It was pointing to what the Bible calls the second Adam. And you might be saying, Harley, I've never heard that before. That means you weren't here last week. So go listen to last week's because we clear all of that up. And it's a really amazing, amazing thing. Here, Listen to that. Oops, I just lost my yummy glasses. Um <laughs> I say they're not really <laughs> yummy. I need to explain that now. They say that on the side. So anyway, so um, we're now going to have to severely edit this <laughs> audio track. Um, so the, uh, let's see what we're talking about. Adam, the second Adam, you need to listen to that. It's online. We got it uploaded. So the first Adam, his life is pointing to the second Adam. And the Bible tells us that that is another name uh, for, for Jesus. He was called the second Adam. So the first Adam in Genesis chapter 3, his life really brought to us death. But then the second Adam, he came, that's Jesus, he came to renew that life. So last week we also, one of the characters we talked about was the serpent. That shows up in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, if you remember. And the serpent, when you look at the Hebrew word, it's a word that, that describes, it's very descriptive. It describes the shining one. That's another way to interpret that. Uh, it comes from a root word talking about the enchanter with words. And that really certainly fits the evil one in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, calling him crafty, saying God, God saying, telling Moses to write this down, that he was wiser than any of the other created beings, this shining one, this serpent. And then God, at the end of this story, this true story, God humiliates the evil one for his role in the fall of mankind, us. He humiliates him, saying, you are going to be humiliated before me for the rest of your existence. As he says, you're going to be crawling on your belly. You're going to bow before me. That's a way of saying, you're going to bow before me in my presence. You will be humiliated for eternity. And now, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when we think, or I, when I think of snake, it comes to my mind, the Garden of Eden. I don't know about you. When I think of snake, I see snake. I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't have a great affinity for snakes. Some, if you're a herpetologist, you may love snakes. I'm not a herp. I, 
I don't like them. And I do think of Genesis chapter 3. And, and you know what? For, for most, many, many people, I can't say most, but many, many people, the snake, and certainly for, uh, in God's story here that he gives us, the snake becomes a symbol of sin. And he certainly did in Genesis chapter 3. And then the Bible goes on from that point and is consumed. The Bible literally from Genesis chapter 3 on all the way through the end of Revelation, the Bible is consumed with this battle as it's described in Genesis chapter 3. The battle of the seed of the woman who is Jesus and the evil one. And the rest of the Bible is a battle, a great battle between those two, between Jesus good, between evil, and and God is letting us know in Genesis chapter 3 how he's going to take care of this sin problem for the whole world. He lets us know right there in Genesis chapter 3 that he is going to drop Jesus onto the earth to crush the head of the evil one. And there's a lot more in Genesis chapter 3. That's just a quick summary in the very first few chapters of Genesis. Wow, it is loaded, loaded with the scarlet thread, as we call it. And it continues all the way through the story of Abraham, which we didn't get to last week. I'm going to try to get some information on the blog to you about that this week. But it continues with Abraham, and then it goes into the nation of Israel, and and it just continues all the way culminating to the saving plan of Jesus when he dies on the cross. It's, this all happens through this seemingly insignificant, obscure nation, very tiny on the grand scale of things, very tiny nation called Israel. And so in this story, then we run across six tiny verses that tell a story. Um, and we're going to look at those verses in a little bit. Hey, and as we jump into our text today, I, I want to just, I have a confession that, that I'd like to make. Because Ooh, we're, awesome. we're, we're among friends and, you know, I'm, no, this won't leave this room. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe. Okay. No. But anyway, I have a confession. I have this love-hate relationship with commercials, like television commercials, advertising in general, pretty much. Because here's the deal with, with me when it comes to commercials. I will skip through them. I will mute them. I will avoid them at all costs unless I just really want to watch a good commercial. Because good commercials are entertaining. They're short. They're creative. And you know, the advertising uh, industry is huge. Lots of resources. Very creative people. Um, so they're very good at getting our attention, at pulling us in for just maybe 30 seconds or so. Like like the new Doritos commercial. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, the one with the ultrasound. Um, but very cute commercial, very creative. Um, in the end, you know, it's just, it, you know, they always have like a good twist. Good commercials have a good twist at the end. But when I, when I think about that, when I think about the creative, creativity aspect of commercials and the way they pull you in, and all the resources that go into that, I can't help but think about this series and how God, you know, being all powerful, having unlimited amount of resources, is very creative in weaving this scarlet letter or this scarlet thread through the Bible. 
And, you know, God does some, some very neat, very weird, and some bizarre things to get his creation's attention. Things like making donkeys talk. Um, something like today. Right? <laughs> something straight out of Shrek. It's in the Bible. Um, uh, making these uh, valley of dry bones raise up into mm. this symbolic army. Just some amazing, amazing things are in the Bible. Super that's why, creative. Right. That's why you guys you really need to, to read it because there's just some amazing stuff. And when it comes to, to weaving the story of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, God is super creative in it. And this morning we find this creative and somewhat bizarre story in the book of um, Numbers. So, And this story is, is, is slipped in to when the nation of Israel is wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God used Moses to, to free them um, out from under the Egyptians where they were in slavery. And from the first day of freedom, pretty much, they began to complain. And it, it really never stopped. They just, you know, every step along the way, they had something to complain about. And just to recap right quick, um, they were enslaved treated horribly. God freed them, gave them freedom, turned them to, into a mighty nation. And well, they just pretty much complained about it the whole time. Um, and as the story begins today, though, in, in Numbers chapter 21, they had just won a, a pretty major victory and they'd hit the road to travel a bit more. Um, and that's where we kind of pick up the, the, the narrative today. And it's going to be Numbers chapter 21. The verse will be on the screen if you would like to follow along. It says, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Okay, so God gave them this really cool, creative, by the way, physical reminder of his presence and his leadership. And during the day, they were guided by this, this pillar of a cloud, this huge pillar a cloud, but at night they were guided hardly by this this pillar of fire. Pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty cool. Impressive, and that, I mean that would make me cause me to think. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> there's God. And so, but here's exactly what happens right after they leave this land of Eden. But the people, the Bible says here, the people grew impatient with the long journey. Now it has been a long journey. Um, I mean, these guys are traveling. In this, they will have had traveled for 40 years by the end of this journey. But God is driving them. So he's driving this whole caravan of this whole nation with this pillar of a cloud by day. Um, and they're like they have been from the beginning in the back seat. God's driving them with this pillar of cloud and they're complaining so he's holding the steering wheel, and, and they're just like, wah, 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 when are we going to get there? How much further? And God is like swatting them in the back seat as they're going. And, and the whole nation, one big swat, the whole nation, how many times, one swat per arm movement, do I have to tell you? And he's reaching for them. You can't get them all, really, because, you know, you got to kind of reach, and you're just swatting the air. Tell you. We're not there yet. Keep your hands to yourself and away from your sister and quit complaining. Don't, don't make me stop this caravan. 
it seems that no matter what, no matter what God does, no matter how he shows up, no matter how big the miracle is, no matter how he took care of them, no matter how he proved to them that he is their God, they, it seems that they forgot about it within moments, within days. They were right back to just whining and complaining. They just wouldn't stop. It was relentless. Right. In verse 5 of our text this morning, it tells us, and they began to speak against God and Moses. And then listen to what they said. It's just amazing to me. Um, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. They were saying, God, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt as slaves? Wow. Right? Why bring us all the way out here in the wild? In this moment, what they were saying is, I would rather be a slave in Egypt than here with God. How? That, that's just a little ridiculous to us, right? It's crazy to think about. That saying as if, you know, God, if you gave me a choice right now, I would leave you and I would live in Egypt. I, I would choose a, a, a slavery. I would choose slavery in a hostile nation that, that hates you and hates us. I would choose that right now over you. And I would choose that over a God who is lovingly leading and providing for me. But no, they would say, you had to free us from this slavery and drag us out here kicking and screaming the whole way, right? You know, before, I think before we get too judgmental and of the Israelites here, there's, there's a little bit of Israelite in all of us. That's us too, right? Because uh, Jesus came to, to set us free, but we keep running back to slavery often. We keep running back to the medicine cabinet. He wants to renew us, but we won't do what it takes to stop drinking until we pass out. And he, he has a, a, a lifelong plan for our life, but we keep eating ourselves until we have heart disease. And he, he offer, offers us freedom, but we, we keep crawling back to our addiction. And Jesus came to set us free from destructive habits, but we, and, and we do, we run away from them for a little while, for a time, then we slowly, one day at a time, we, we walk a little closer to it again. And a little closer. And when, then we start to hang out by that line. And then we, we get a little closer to the line. Then we stand on the line. And then one day we, we step over it. And we go deeper and further, quicker into destruction than we were before. You know, in what we're saying in that moment, we're saying, God, thank you for saving me. But right now, in this moment, I'm choosing slavery over you. I'm choosing a life enslaved instead of a life with you. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. They were complaining. So back in the scripture, they say, here's exactly what they say. Uh, they say, there's nothing. God, there's nothing to eat here. There's nothing to drink. You say, wait a minute, Harley, I, I, thought, I thought God provided food for them and, and, and made sure they had water. I thought God did that. Well, you're right. Exactly. Yes, God did. He did. I, I guess they wanted 
an afternoon snack or something that wasn't there. I guess they wanted an RC cola and a moon pie. I don't know. They wanted something. But yes, God was providing for them. But how quickly, how quickly they forgot and how quickly they started complaining. And they said this, back to Scripture, and we hate this horrible manna. Now, don't just pass over that. Because manna was God's solution for their food. I mean, he knew they they were going to be on this 40-year journey because of their decisions. It it was 40 years. But he knew it. It was a 40-year road trip. And God said, don't worry, guys. Yes, I know you've gotten yourself into this. This is what happens when you complain. Don't worry. This is what happens when you don't believe me. Don't worry, though. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. Don't worry. Here's what I want you to do. You just follow me. You, what I want you to do, you worship me. I want you to trust me. I'm going to take care of this. I have this. Don't worry about this. No worries. And you know, so God provided them this manna, this food. And you know how the Bible describes this manna? I mean, this sounds pretty awesome to a fat guy. He describes it as like a pastry with honey. Pretty creative of God, I think, to give them donuts every day. (laughs) I mean, pretty amazing. God got up early every day and made them breakfast, made them donuts for breakfast, food for the day, every single day. The word he used here to describe, the word they used here to describe this, though, When they said, I hate this, here's the meaning of this in Hebrew. They're saying, this is light bread. Now, by light, we're not talking about like, this is Weight Watchers bread. This is (laughs) low-calorie, low-carb bread. That's not what they're saying. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, God, this is light, no-substance bread. This is a joke. That's what they were saying. They're saying, God, your food, your provisions are a joke. That's what they were saying. Now, at this point, God seems, I think we can just kind of draw this conclusion, God seems quite tired of their complaining. So he gives them something to complain about. Uh Uh-oh. He's tired of their whining and their crying, so as any good parent would do, he gives them something to cry about. Verse 6. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And so Moses is like saying, oh God, it had to be snakes, didn't it? You just had to send the snakes, didn't you? You know, and it didn't take too long for the the Israelites to get the message here. And it didn't take too long for them to go back to God or go to Moses and and, and beg for some help. And, And that's basically what they did. In, in verse 7, it says, Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. Okay, look, look, we, we are sorry. 
We thought we had something to complain about. Now we, we do. We, we're sorry. I'm sorry. Please, Moses, go to God and ask him. So Moses prayed for the people, as he did almost every time. Um, they complained and they acted and did something stupid. He went to God on, the beh- on their behalf and prayed to God. And God responds in a, in a, in a strange way, really, in a, in a quite strange uh, and it really, at the time, made very little sense, absolutely probably no sense to them. But listen to what it says in verse 8. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. That's just a little strange, a little weird. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. You know, the more we understand about their culture and about this snake and the bronze and stuff, the more kind of weird it does get because um, bronze and, and brass was a symbol of judgment. And, and bronze and brass was associated, it was a metal that was associated with fire. So here, according to their understanding of God, um, God had given them a sign of a fiery judgment. And this fiery judgment was uh, in the shape of a snake. And since the beginning of the earth, back in the Garden of Eden, as Harley said earlier, the, ser- the serpent had been symbolic of sin, and especially after Adam and Eve's rebellion. So now God's telling everyone who chooses to look, look at this brass snake on the stick. Yeah, and in doing so, what he's what it, what it seems he's saying here is, is God is saying, okay, look at this brass snake on this stick. So what I, what you're looking at is my judgment on a stick, right. chicken <laughs> on a stick. It's my judgment, <laughs> judgment on, a stick. on a stick. It's your rebellion, the Israelite nation. It's your rebellion on this pole, this stick. And I'm going to hold this high above you, and I want you to look at your rebellion. Look at your rebellion. Look at my judgment on this stick. That's what God is saying for them to do. Look. He's saying, look at it, because this this sin that has bitten you, this sin that has bitten you, look at this judgment of that sin. Look at it. And you're going to be healed. This sin bite, in other words, this sin bite is killing you. But if you'll look at this, you're going to be healed. Look deeply, and not just a glance. Don't just raise your eyes above your computer screen or above your newspaper and then go back to business as usual. No, no, don't don't just glance at it. Don't just look up from your cell phone, Israelites. And from texting your buddies across the campground, no, 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 I, I want you to gaze deeply. Gaze deeply. Fix your eyes upon this. It is my judgment, my fiery judgment. That's the snake, my fiery judgment on this, on this stake, on this pole. Fix your eyes on that. Raised high above you. I want you to, to look intently. And if you do, you'll be healed from your sin bite. You'll be healed. You'll be healed from the consequences of your complaining. You'll be healed from the consequences of your rebellion 
against me. How bizarre. How bizarre. What a strange way for God to save his children. This nation that he calls his family, the Israelites. How strange for him to heal his people in this bizarre, bizarre way. And here's what Moses writes right after that. The very next next phrase says, Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And there, folks, we have it. The end of that story. That's it. Six small verses, obscure, strange, weird verses, but replete with Old Testament meaning. Six verses, and then the end. And guess what? Then life, well, it just, for the Israelites, went on as usual, as normal. So here's their story. We complained, we got snake bit, some of us died, we looked at this snake on a stick, and we were healed. The end. Bizarre. No no explanation. No reason given. Nothing. That's it. Weird story. Weird story. And it's just kind of inserted. Those six verses right there. No reason given. Nothing. That's just it. That's it. Weird. Strange. The end. The end. And then they move on with life. For 1,500 years, just about, they they move on with life. And out of nowhere, it seems to us, Jesus is having this obscure conversation, really a secret conversation at night, and he he tells us a secret in this secret conversation. Why? He tells us why that obscure story is placed in the history of Israel, recorded for us to see it thousands of years later. Right. And we find this in one of the probably the most well-known chapters of the Bible, in the book of John, chapter 3. And Jesus, listen to, to what he says here in John chapter 3. And Um, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, meaning on the down low, under the cover of night, this man named Nicodemus slips in to have this secret meeting with Jesus. And listen, this, this amazes me what he says to him. He came to speak with Jesus and says, Rabbi, which means teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And he's saying, we all know this. I'm the only one, though, that is really is going to come and talk to you about it right now. That has the guts to come and, and talk to you. But we all really know it. Me and a lot of my friends, we, we do think this. He says, your, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And in, in, in typical Jesus fashion, in the in the you know the way he would do over and over, he never missed an opportunity. Um, and he goes on to tell this man what it means to be saved, what how anyone gets to heaven to spend eternity with our heavenly Father. He tells him 
that being good, abiding by the, the Jewish law will never get him to heaven, telling him that um, even though you are a respected Jewish teacher and even that is not going to get you to heaven. And the Pharisees' job, listen to this, their job was to be good. Their job description was be good. That's what they did. And he tells this guy, look, all the good that you can be, that is not going to get you to heaven. He goes on to tell him, Jesus goes on to tell this man named Nicodemus, that you have to submit to God's plan, Jesus would say. And that plan is me. I am that plan. So he, he tells him all of this. And then, then at that point, Jesus takes, he takes a story that this teacher, this, this, um, this Pharisee teacher has been teaching his whole life. And it's that story of Moses and the complaining nation of Israel and the deadly snakes. And Jesus now teaches him and all of us, the meaning of that story, why that was in their history. This is like 1,500 years after it actually happened. And Jesus clears it all up. Part of God's plan. He, he, he takes this respected teacher and teaches him the meaning of the story. Now see, this Pharisee teacher, along with all the other teachers had been telling the people, here's what that story meant. Here's why our ancestors experienced that. They were teaching this. They were saying, God is trying to tell you in your times of trouble to turn to God. Not just any God. Not the gods of these other nations that are no gods at all, but the one true God turned to God in times of trouble. That's what they taught. And Jesus is saying, wrong, wrong answer. You have been teaching it wrong. You missed it. Now you guessed at the meaning, pretty good guess, but it's wrong. You missed it. So Jesus, 1,500 years after that historical event, Jesus clears it all up. And listen to what he tells Nicodemus that night. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus said, this happened as a picture of what is to come. He said that brass snake being lifted up on a branch was a picture of what's going to happen to me. What a, what a strange, kind of weird thing for the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to, to connect himself with, right? This, this bronze symbol of judgment, this judgment of the world being laid on the innocence of Jesus. Uh, and a snake at that, I, I mean, associating Jesus, God himself, with a snake, that was shocking. That was very shocking because a snake in their culture represented sin. Sin being the enemy of God and now equated with Jesus. Equated with Jesus and get this, by Jesus himself. He's doing the equating here. 
Wow, Jesus is saying, I'm going to become sin for you, and not just you, for the whole world. Wow, and the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, because he was God, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is saying, I'm going to become literally sin for you. <coughs> That's not the example that we like to remember when we think of Jesus. I mean, we think often when we think of Jesus and the images that God gives us for Jesus... We like those softer images, like the one John the Baptist used, and it's only softer on paper, I promise you that. <laughs> but the one John the Baptist used as he described Jesus, he went, when he showed up on the scene to begin his ministry, he, he calls out to Jesus, behold, in other words, look right there, that's the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And you know what? We, when we hear that, we like, yeah, Jesus the Lamb of God. That was a very Jewish title. And they, they resonated with that. They were drawn to that. They, they really liked it. It was a lot easier to swallow to think of Jesus as the Lamb of God. But here, Jesus is saying a harsh thing. Using it to predict his own death. Jesus saying, no, not a lamb this time. Although that is still an accurate way to think of it. He says, but this time, not a lamb picture. This time, Jesus is using a different image to describe what's going to happen. And it was quite shocking. Right. This bronze snake was lifted up on the branch. And the picture that, that Jesus paints here is a picture of judgment, of sin being lifted up. And Jesus says, that is me. That's me. And I'm going to be lifted up, and I'm going to take that judgment that belongs to you, that belongs to me, and I'm going to become that sin. I'm sinless, but I'm going to become sin for you and be lifted up on a wooden cross. And again, <laughs> the, the scarlet letter, I mean the scarlet letter, the scarlet thread is woven through God's word, ever so creatively and ever so planned by God's sovereignty, woven completely through the Bible, and it concealed maybe through the Old Testament, but God's plan from the beginning, Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And it turns out Jesus is saying that that event with Moses and the nation of Israel and the snake, that happened in history as a, a prophetic picture of what was to come to the Messiah and what was to happen to Jesus. God's plan for saving the world since the beginning of time. And he says, look, look at me on the cross. Follow me. And following Jesus... You know, this little following that, Jesus, um, after he explains this little historical event that happened in Numbers, the most famous verse in the Bible follows right after that. John 3.16. Listen to what Jesus says. 
He says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in verse 17 that we very seldomly (laughs) go down and read the next passage, he says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God's saying, hey, I'm not sending my son to punish you or condemn you. He is the answer. He is the answer to your problem. No doubt. Not to judge you, but for him, Jesus, to take that judgment upon himself. The picture of the snake on the stick, Jesus on the cross, becoming sin for you and for me, taking that judgment. And that's exactly what he had been telling them through the prophets all the way through the Bible. It's that scarlet thread here in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, speaking of Jesus one day in the future, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Not those who glance up from their busy lives and just say, and then just go to life as usual, unchanged. Jesus says, no, I want you to look intently at the cross that is held up before you. Look intently, focus on me, place your eyes on me, your hope, he says, in me, your life in my direction. Stare into the grace of God that is lived out in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, there you will find your sin laid upon Jesus, and then you will see your judgment laid upon Jesus. And it is there so that you can find your life by losing it, by giving your life, surrendering your life to Him. Now, God's Word may seem mysterious to you, but you know what? It is. If you will dig in, it is but a single, single story. The story of God's redeeming you from the very first pages to the last. That's what it is. It is the story of Jesus. The scarlet thread woven throughout God's word in order to lead you from creation all the way to the cross. God's plan from the very beginning, not a backup, not a, not a oh, we messed up, so we got to go rethink this. No, it's his plan from the very beginning to forgive you, to cleanse you and me, to connect us with God eternally. And so here's my question. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with, more specifically, him, with Jesus? Are you going to, like so many, just glance up from life? Just take a a, a passing glance and say, oh, I'll pass on this for now. I'll deal with this later. Or are you going to maybe do like so many others do and they just glance up from time to time? Maybe from Sunday to Sunday or from holiday to holiday, they glance up and they just nod at Jesus and saying, thanks for that. And then they go on with their life unchanged as usual. Or perhaps, 
Perhaps you're going to do what Jesus is saying. This is what it's all about. To gaze intently, moment by moment, into the life of Jesus. Who became sin for you and for me? And then choose to follow him. And those those who do, as we mentioned last week, John 3.16 in the Amplified Version says this, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten, his unique son, so that whoever believes in, you don't understand what that means, it means trust in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish shall not come to destruction, shall not be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. This morning our bottom line says this, very simply. Don't simply glance at Jesus. Stare intently into the work of Christ on the cross and follow him. So our question, what are you going to do with Jesus? More specifically, what are you going to do with Jesus today? Right now, this moment. And what are you going to do with Jesus tomorrow? And then what are you going to do with Jesus on Tuesday and on Wednesday? And my challenge for you is this, will you follow him? And you know, to follow Jesus, we really have to know Jesus. We have to know Him. And that means for us, maybe to look at Him daily in God's Word. Every single day. And this week, I'm just challenging you, encouraging you. Will you read, will you take this challenge to read one chapter out of Romans each day during this week? And don't just read it to say, yeah, check that off, I did it. But when you read that one chapter, will you then stop and say, God, what do you want me to do today as a result of what I have read in this chapter? God, is there one thing in here? One thing, God, what is one thing you want me to do today as I follow you from what I've read in this chapter? Will you join us to not just simply give Jesus a nod on the cross? Hey, thanks for what you did. I'm grateful for it. And then go back to, no. Will you gaze intently and stare intently into his life? Will you join us? This week, just one chapter of Romans a day. And ask God, God, what do you want me to do today? as a result of what I have read. I'm pretty sure that God is going to impress something on your heart as you follow Him. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. We're going to sing a couple songs to God, letting Him know, Jesus, we are not just giving you a nod, but many of us today, we are followers not just glancers. Let's pray.
God, Isaiah told us what was going to happen to you on the cross. When he said you would be pierced for our transgressions, and Jesus, you were. That you would be crushed for our iniquities. What we deserve, God, you took upon yourself. God, this very punishment, Isaiah said, that brought us peace, that punishment that we deserved was laid upon you. And he said that it is by your wounds and your wounds alone, not my good works, not me trying harder, doing better, but God, it is by your wounds that we are healed. And God, we don't want to simply glance at what you have done for us, but may we this week begin a habit, a lifelong habit of staring intently into your work on the cross and in doing so, choosing to follow you. Thank you that you did not give up on us, that you provided for us a cure for our, our snake bite of sin. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.